Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prepare to win this season with PFF Fantasy. Pro Football Focus uses our exclusive data on every play of every game to bring you the best fantasy stats and projections. Join PFF Edge for full access to our expert rankings, draft tools, matchup charts, and of course, our award-winning content. Are you a high-stakes player? Join PFF Elite, which includes our premium stats database, Greenline game picks, and DFS optimizer powered by our fantasy projection. Join PFF Fantasy and prepare to win. Sign up now at ProFootballFocus.com. Here comes the lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. Hello everyone, welcome to the one and only Lightning Round Podcast. You might just say the Tyreek Hill of podcasts, maybe? <laughs> I am Garrett Sisti, which is at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. With me is Jamie Hoyle. You can follow the podcast at Lightning underscore round. We got some questions today. Even talk about the loss to the home opener against the Chiefs. But we've got three donors to thank first. So, yeah, as always, we'll start off the show by thanking those of you who support the show. And we will start with our favorite people who support the show. And those are the people who donated last week. So that is uh, Jesse Permstein, John Narcessian, and Michael Lagomarsino. So, Jesse, John, and Michael, thank you guys very much for supporting with the donations. We really appreciate it. You are 
adding to the lightning round beer fund or whatever it is we decided to do with that money. So thank you very much. <laughs> and like we always say, we appreciate everybody who's supporting, whether you're, you know, participating in the chats in, on Twitter or in the app or um, rating us on iTunes or sending in questions through the, the, uh, the message us or the voicemail or however it is you're communicating with us. We appreciate all of you. We appreciate the continued support and, as I always say, you're the reason why we do it because without the support, there'd be no reason to be doing this every week and taking time away from our families to cover this team. And three pretty cool last names, Pemstein, Nersessian, and Lago Marcinino. No uh, no Smiths or Johnsons or Thomases here. Unique last names, for sure. Yeah, I like it. So, yeah, uh, kind of like you alluded to, we got some questions from the app, which, of course, you can leave your voicemails, emails, and we are going to cover that now. And first, we got two phone calls and a very important phone call, <laughs> which is the first one from our biggest fan, which is Liam. Hi, this is Liam, now from Bellflower. Why does it seem like the Chargers are always beating themselves? Dropped passes, fumbled punts, and missed field goals. Bye and go Chargers. Uh, Liam, first of all, thank you for calling. It's been a while since we've heard from you, and I'm not going to lie. I was pretty down last night, and when Garrett sent me your message, I was immediately perked up. So we always love hearing from you. Thank you very much. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer other than they're just not ready to play often enough. Uh, we keep seeing the same mental mistakes over and over and over again. We see the same game management mistakes, wasting timeouts, missing kicks, muffing punts, dropping passes, whatever the case may be. It just seems like we're doomed to lose the same, lose games the same ways over and over and over again. And it's depressing, but, uh, I don't have an answer for you. It's a professional team. They should be able to clean this stuff up. Hopefully they will as the season goes on, but, uh, it just, it always starts this way. So just got to kind of roll with the punches until they figure it out. Yeah, and it's a little early for you to be learning the sadness that comes with the Chargers and being a fan <laughs> of this team. So uh, they just were not prepared for this game on Sunday. And because you're young and I want to crush your hopes and dreams this early in your life, Liam, I'll just say it's early in the season. They could turn it around. There's still hope. So so keep fighting, buddy. Can, can we just – just for Liam's sake, let's just say it's because they don't play the starters in the in the, in the preseason – so they're just not quite ready to play, and they're still playing into shape, and it'll get better as the season goes. I don't know if we believe sure, that. Whatever, but <laughs> whatever excuse will make Liam feel better, but everybody else that's listening knows the real truth. <laughs> and, we'll, and we're going to give it to him in about 10 or 15 minutes, yep. so just wait on that. Uh, the next call is from a, another big fan who happens to listen to us outside of the U.S. from Italy. Antonio, what's your question? Hello, guys. This is Antonio from Italy. Thank you very much for your show. I have a question uh, on a play. In the second quarter, when um, Rivers uh, tried to draw offside the Kansas City Chiefs defense on a fourth and two, and, two, and we, we lost the timeout, basically. Do you think um, it was a Philip decision or uh, Lynn and Wiz uh, asked him to do it? Because, I don't know, with, with so much game left, I didn't think it was a very good decision, even because then uh, at the end of the second quarter we had uh, the two-minute drill that we could use a lot better. Thank you very much, and go Chargers, go. So that's not a decision that Rivers makes. That's more Lynn and Wiz. Uh, Rivers doesn't call his own plays. 
he can check at the line, but when he tries to draw a team off size, that's an understanding they had beforehand between the coaches and Rivers that he's going to go out and do that. I don't like it because they do it so often that the element of surprise is gone and it's a little tired. And, of course, when you lose a timeout because of it, that's not good either. Yeah, I, you know, I, I had really hoped that when we saw Anthony Lynn flex his muscles in Denver, or not in Denver, in L.A. against Denver last year, and dare his team to bow up on the goal line, I had really hoped that we were done with these ridiculous wastes of time where they're trying to draw people off sides when nobody in the building believes that they're actually trying to go for it. Nobody watching TV believes they're actually trying to go for it. It's just a waste of time. It's frustrating. So Rivers isn't calling it. It is coming from the sideline, and it's basically the coaching staff's admission that they don't have the balls to go for it on fourth down. I think we can all agree on that because if they had the balls to go for it, they'd be going for it. So they don't, that may change. It changed for a little while last year, but it seems like they're right back to the same old song and dance. So hopefully they work their way out of it and they get frustrated and hopefully they do it before they're out of the playoffs. Uh, Cause they waited a little bit too long to get, to get bold and ballsy last year. So hopefully they figure that out sooner rather than later. Um, but you know, it, it drives me crazy, and especially yesterday, they've got a good drive going. They're down. I believe they were inside the Chiefs' 30-yard line or somewhere near the 30-yard line. Um, they had they had the ball moving. It was fourth and two. They're a team that wants to be physical. They're trying to establish their physical um, style of play, and they have a chance to go for it down, I believe, at the time 14-3, to three, right? So why not just go for it? And put all your cards in, in in one basket and just try to try to make something happen and get back in the game. But instead, they kill a decent drive. They waste time on the clock, and they burn a timeout. It's kind of the trifecta of misery for Chargers fans because nothing good comes from that. So I hate it. I want to see it go away. Nobody buys it. It's a huge waste of time. Let's just scrap that and actually try going for it on occasion on fourth down on a short field. So then we got a couple questions, and this one's from Kevin. It's a long one. I'll cut it short. But he says, Hi, guys. First and foremost, I love the show and appreciate all the work you guys put into it, making this podcast possible even when the games are ugly and you'd rather down a few bottles of rum than rewatch how bad the team performed. Anyways, I just wanted to get your opinions on how this coaching staff prepares for a guy like Tyreek Hill or how they don't. Last season, in the two games combined, Hill put over 300 all-purpose yards, you think after two matchups, heck, after the first matchup, they prepare for him. Uh, I know you can't prepare for those trick and gadget plays Reed loves to run, but you got to know they're coming. And when Hill or one of those other speedy receivers move from the outside to behind Mahomes, you need to know something's coming. You can't just let them walk into the end zone. What's going on in the minds of Lynn and Bradley? That's a really good question. Um, to me, just watching that game, it seemed like they decided going into the game that they couldn't cover Tyreek. So instead of risking you know missing a bump at the line of scrimmage and having him run by you they were content to just let him run three free through the middle of the defense and hopefully tackle him and get him on the ground before he really hurt you and it's something that i noticed in the preseason that other teams were doing to them that the chiefs were doing to them yesterday and it is attacking their zone with deep crossers and deep posts over the middle with their fastest receiver and basically daring the chargers linebackers to cover him that you know they're the the corners are playing deep zones. They're giving 10 yards cushion and then letting guys run free through the middle of the field. The linebackers are biting on play action fakes 
and Tyreek is basically just running behind the linebacker drops and making catches, and there's nobody there to defend him. And, of course, you're leaving a Jaleel Adai one-on-one with, with Tyreek on the slant on his first touchdown catch, and basically no chance to make that tackle in the middle of the field. So, to me, it just looked like resignation, that they didn't have anybody fast enough to run with him. They weren't confident enough in their ability to jam him and slow him down that way. So they were content to let him make catches in the middle of the field and just hope they tackled him. And, of course, they didn't tackle him, and they got killed. Yeah, and I think in their mind, they decided the Chiefs have three weapons, Kareem Hunt, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and they said, we will try to do our best to stop Kelsey and Hunt, and hopefully we can contain Tyreek Hill. You know, Kelsey, again, only had one catch. It was six yards. He had six targets. Kareem Hunt had under 50 yards on 16 carries, but I also think that's a product of the Chiefs basically seeing a weakness and just exploiting it and knowing the Chargers couldn't stop it. So they went back to it. Um, I don't have an answer for why they don't game plan around a guy that has torched them in the past uh, for multiple seasons. You'd think Tyreek Hill would be the Chargers' main focus, but they just couldn't stop him on Sunday. But I think in their minds, and you, you know, you're asking what goes on in their minds in Lynn and Bradley. I'm not a psychic, I can't tell you, but I just assume that they're saying, well, we got to stop somebody, and if we can stop the run and stop Kelsey, maybe we can contain Hill too. But they couldn't do it. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make sense to lead, to hope to contain the opposing team's fastest player and biggest deep threat. You think you kind of look at it the other way bracket him, give help over the top, try to take him away and make them beat you by dinking and dunking their way down the field. But for whatever reason, they chose to take away Hunt, which, like you mentioned, Garrett, I don't really think they took away Hunt. I think the Chiefs took away Hunt because they were throwing the ball so well in the deep and intermediate passing game that they didn't really need to run. And they basically ran to change things up and for effect and to balance things out more so than for gaining yards and moving the chains because they were moving the ball at 10, 15 yard, 20 clips with ease, there was no reason to run it. So, you know, we'll hear the Chargers talk about how they're pleased with their run defense and they held them to under four yards a game and they stopped Hunt after he killed them in two games last year. But I don't really think that's the case. And we can talk about that more during during our storylines here in a little bit. But in terms of Tyreek, I just think they, I think they just decided they couldn't stop him. And they were hoping that they had improved the tackling at the second and third levels of the defense enough that even if he was making catches downfield, they'd get him on the ground and find a way to stop drives, but they weren't getting him on the ground. So that plan didn't work. Not even a little bit. No, not remotely. Uh, The next question is from Lawrence. And his question is, do you guys – he's got a couple questions in here. But the first question is, do you guys think you saw enough from Mike Williams on Sunday to make him more of a focal point in the offense? Also, did you think the coaches should be adding more wrinkles to feature Gordon and Eckler on the field together more? Eckler is clearly a playmaker, and any time they have done it, they have found success. I feel like this team never really puts a focus on game planning around specific players. I feel like this is a recurring theme. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Now, first question, should Mike Williams be the focal point? No. Keenan Allen is the focal point of the offense, and so is their best running back. <clears throat> who is Austin Eckler, uh, should follow that. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're looking at Keenan Allen, their running backs being the focal point. I mean, Mike Williams was better than Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin against the Chiefs, but that's because Benjamin and Williams were dog shit. And that's a pretty low I mean, bar. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy Davis did better than Williams and Benjamin, and Jeremy Davis wasn't even suited up on Sunday. 
So that tells you how good Tyrell and Travis were. So, yes, Mike Williams made some good catches, but the game was starting to slip away from the Chargers. They wanted to get him some extra snaps, and fine, he looked good. But by no means should he start to be the focal point of the offense. Yeah, so look, you know, Mike played 44 snaps. He had five catches for, I believe, 81 yards. He had two 25-yard catches, if I'm not mistaken. So most of his yards came on two plays. And I think if you really look at what he did and when he did it, they didn't really start looking to him until they were down three scores early in the fourth quarter. And the the Chiefs were so far ahead that they were basically playing. They weren't playing prevent, but they were playing a pretty soft zone coverage. And they were content to let him run, you know, 20, 25 yards downfield, make a catch in the middle of the field and burn clock, getting back to the huddle and, and, and running the next play. So he wasn't beating a good secondary. He still hasn't really beat a good NFL caliber caliber corner on any of his catches so far in the preseason or the regular season. And he, they weren't really trying to stop him. I think the encouraging thing is, is he made it through the game healthy. That's huge. He caught everything they threw his way. And he had a couple pretty good routes. There was one 10 or 12 yard route that he caught in the fourth quarter that, you know, he gave a little inside fake and broke it outside and made a first down catch that I thought was one of the better routes he's run as a charger. So I think there's enough reason for encouragement. Uh, And I thought going into the game, I thought he should have been a fairly big part of the game plan because watching the, the chiefs in the preseason, their secondary was terrible. And they were having a lot of a really hard time defending passes in that fifteen to twenty yard range that were that were breaking off in between the linebacker zone drops and the safeties. So it just seemed like it lined up really well for Williams to have a big game, and the Chargers waited too long to get him involved. So he should have had more looks on Sunday. But if he if you're asking if he should be a focal point of the offense, I would say no. He's still at best he wouldn't be more than the third option, maybe the fourth option. So. Uh, actually, you could actually you could argue fourth with Gordon and Eckler being bigger focal points than him, and obviously Allen. So, no, he's not there yet, but there's definitely reason to try to get him the ball at least a little bit more often, uh, based on the way he played on Sunday. Yeah, there's definitely some optimism. Yeah, surrounding Mike Williams, definitely through game one, but uh, no, he should not be a focal point. In your second question about getting Gordon Eckler on the field together, absolutely, 100% should be a wrinkle. They throw in a lot more than they do. In fact, when Hunter Henry went down with the injury, I thought this is something we'd see a lot more, getting some new looks with putting Eckler and Gordon in the backfield together, or at least on the field at the same time. And so far in game one, none of that. This next question is from Sam, and he says, Hey guys, thank you for doing your part in explaining this team. It seems like with nine minutes left in the game, Rivers was still using the entire play clock. Shouldn't he have used more urgency? Best wishes, Sam. I think there are a couple things going on here. One is it's still taking too long to get plays into the huddle. It's always been a problem. It seems like, I don't know if there's problems with the headsets or if there's disagreements on the sideline about what plays to call, if maybe Lynn's getting involved and slowing things down, but... It, they're not even getting uh, plays called until they're around the you know 15 or 20 seconds have burned off the clock. So that's a problem. And then you've also got Rivers having to get everybody lined up, and then more often than not, he's checking out of one plane into another. So there's a lot going on there. Some of it's on Rivers. I'd like to see the plays called a little bit more often. You'd think you know, in that situation with nine minutes to go and you're down three scores, you would have scripted plays 
you know, saying, okay, we're down two scores, we're down three scores. This is what we're looking to run. These are the three plays, four plays, five plays we want to run here. Let's get them called and get moving. Uh, but they're just taking too long to get them in, and then Rivers is having to check out once he's scanning the de- the defense, and that's that's been a problem since the beginning of last year. Yeah, yeah. Clock management between Wiz and Rivers is a issue because Wiz is always late to get the play calls in, and Rivers always wants to get to the line of scrimmage and makes his ch- and make his checks at the line. So the combination has led to draining of the clock forever. So yes, there should be more urgency, but that's just a thing that happens. That's what you get with Wiz and Rivers right now. Yeah, and we talked about this a lot early last year. It seemed, you know, you would think that with a veteran play caller and a veteran quarterback, they'd be more on the same page and they'd know what they want to do and they wouldn't be wasting so much time. But for whatever reason, it seems to be rearing its ugly head again. So hopefully that's one of those things that they will iron out as the season goes forward. You'd like to see them play a little bit faster and keep defenses guessing a little bit more instead of letting them substitute and get the packages they want to get in while the Chargers are getting lined up. Uh, The next question is from Preston Walker, and he says, A lot of people are saying we should cut or trade Travis Benjamin. Who do you think we could realistically get for him in a trade that you'd be happy with? At this stage of the season, no one. I mean, guys that are worth it aren't going to be on the trading block. You're not going to see Tyreek Hill or Tyler Lockett or Tariq Cohen out there. I mean, it doesn't. No, there's nobody. In fact, Travis Benjamin was like 11th in the league last year in punt return yards. So, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was more than Tyreek Hill, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to rid yourself of Travis Benjamin, you're going to have to wait another year. That ain't happening this year. Well, their their opportunity to rid themselves of him was in the beginning of the offseason when they had an opportunity to cut him and save $4.5 million against the cap, which at this point is really all you can ask for in a quote-unquote trade for him is just clearing cap space and that would have been awesome in the in the offseason you know maybe it frees up a little extra money to go sign I don't know say a certain defensive tackle that's still out there on the market (laughs) or maybe maybe go out and find a tight end that that can compliment Henry Um, but you know they chose to keep him they they love his speed you know he can't catch the ball or return kicks but they love his speed so that he's here, and he's here for at least another year. And the way things are going, it looks like he will probably be here for the duration of his contract. So better get used to it. Yeah, he's here. Uh, they they might cut him in the offseason, but he ain't going anywhere this season. No. So, you know, throughout the preseason, we've kind of talked about storylines throughout the games, and we're going to carry that over in the regular season and kind of talk about key points that happen in this game rather than uh, player by player breakdown of position group. So uh, we'll get all to that when we start talking about all these storylines, but um, it's not going to be so uh, pinpointed on certain players. So let's just talk about some of these storylines. And of course, the big one is the mental errors that happen on Sunday. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Yeah, that's that's a huge one. And you've got mental errors both from the players and the coaches, which is problematic. Uh, you know, you're talking about um, poor personnel groupings, particularly on defense. You're talking about uh, 
wasted timeouts, wasted clock. You know, before they tried to kick that 48-yard field goal at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, the play was over at about a minute 30, and they let almost 20 seconds or 30 seconds run off the clock between uh, getting the offense off the field and when when the kick was missed. Uh, and they had a full complement of timeouts at the time, so they easily could have saved themselves some time at a point where, you know, had they made the kick, they'd have been down seven and maybe had two timeouts and a minute and a half or close to it left. So, you know, the the coaching mistakes are a problem, and those are mental errors. They're not they're not getting the right guys on the field. Uh, they're not calling timeouts. They're not using the clock very well. And then, of course, with the players. Um, you know, guys taking poor angles, guys blowing coverage assignments, guys missing just flat out missing blocks, uh, drop passes, horrible, egregious, inexcusable drop passes that you just can't explain from professional receivers. Uh, just mental errors across the board that make it seem like they were not either ready to play or interested in playing. Uh, and that's pretty alarming. Yeah, there were just so many. I mean, you start with a 91-yard punt return after the Chargers' first drive. You've got, on special teams, J.J. Jones muffing a punt, which you alluded to a little bit earlier, and the Chiefs punching in for a touchdown soon after that. Sturgis missing the field goal, like you mentioned. Poor angles. Adai missing that one-on-one tackle with Tariq Hill. I mean, you got to bring him down. And that was just a piss-poor angle by Jaleel Adai. You hate to have him on an island, but there he was, and he needed to make a play. He did not. Philip Rivers, you know, he missed Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin in the first, second quarter. But cl- those two lay out for a ball. They're close to his hands. They have a chance to make a catch. Then the other ones where it's just a drop pass by Tyrell Williams in the end zone, which he couldn't have been more open. And then you talk about Travis Benjamin who drops a deep ball that basically hit him in the knees. He jumped up in the air. I, who knows what that was all about. Missed the ball that went through his hands in the end zone, which was like less than two minutes to go. The team's trying to get back into it. Goes off his hands. And the worst part about all that, and the drops are terrible. I mean, imagine the guy doing your taxes who forgets to do math. Like, (laughs) receivers are supposed to catch. That's their job, is to catch the ball. And they did not do any of that. That's their one job, is to catch the ball. And the worst part about all this is not the drops, but... Rivers is getting annihilated to drop these passes in there. He is waiting to the very last second, getting drilled. He is on the ground, and these balls are hitting you in the hands when you're open, and he's dropping dimes, and you can't catch those balls. Those first two balls, he got hit pretty good, and you can't lay out for him? Give Rivers a break, man. Come on. He was getting killed to deliver those passes. Of course, the bad decision by Rivers on the interception was was bad, but for the most part, Rivers played very well. And of course, another big mental error, leaving Kyle Emanuel in coverage. <laughs> I mean, that's that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mentioned the blown coverages. I didn't really single a Kyle Emanuel out. I was going to save that for a little bit later, but <laughs> uh, yeah, big big mental errors. Having Kyle Emanuel on the field at all, let alone asking him. There was one play where he was covering Sammy Watkins in the slot. There were several plays where he was covering um, Travis Kelsey. Another where he couldn't run with a fullback for crying out loud. I mean, I know I was. I thought you were going to say, let alone ask him to run with a yeah, fullback. Yeah, he couldn't Sherman. run with Anthony freaking Sherman. <laughs> that's a problem. That's that's a big problem. But the drops, the drops were a big problem. And the one, I, the one that really stood out to me, which wasn't technically a drop, but I think it was like the most emblematic of everything that I hate about Travis Benjamin. 
was before the one he before the last deep ball that he dropped in the end zone in the fourth quarter. Rivers stood in and delivered a ball about 45 yards downfield to him at the beginning of their second to last drive. It was their second to last drive, right? About mm-hmm. I think four minutes to go in the game that would have been a huge turning point in the game. And he's got a five yard separation on Ron Parker who he dropped the ball against earlier in the game. And Parker is falling down backwards, trying to make a play on the ball. And instead of coming back to the ball and jumping up and making the catch, Benjamin is more concerned with running away from Parker and doesn't even make a play on the ball. And Parker is in no position to make a play on the ball. He got a hand on it, but he was falling down ass over tea kettle, had no idea where he was on the field. <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> I ass over tea kettle. I've actually never heard that. Really? And I love it. You never yeah, heard that? I love it, though. Huh. Nope. Um, nope. Was that a saying in the 50s? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I love it. Uh, so he's falling down backwards. He has no idea where he is, has no idea where Benjamin is. And Benjamin's got deer in headlights because he thinks he's going to get hit. And he doesn't bother to go back to the ball where if he just comes back two yards, that ball falls into his hands and he can walk into the end zone because uh, Parker's on his ass at the 40-yard line. So that was the big one because that is – I mean – that is completely symbolic, emblematic, whatever you want to say, of every complaint we've ever had about Travis Benjamin. He's just not a smart football player. He has no awareness of where he is on the field, where anybody else is on the field. Well, that's not true. He always knows where the defenders are because he's afraid he's going to get hit. But he doesn't know where yeah. the ball is. And that was the worst he certainly one. knows where the sideline is. Yeah. That was the worst one because I think at that point there were four minutes left in the game, and they had a ch- they, if he had caught that and they convert that into a touchdown – they have a real chance to come back, but that's terrible. Can't you can't you can't drop that. You got to come back to that and make that play. It wasn't technically a drop, but it might as well be. I want to talk about something else, which I guess will uh, be one of my storylines as well, which kind of ties into this whole mental error thing. But while watching, while going back and rewatching this game, because while it's happening, you know, you're kind of caught up in it. And but while I'm watching this game for the second time, I'm realizing that a lot of the problems that haunted them in 2017, has come back to bite him in game one. Special teams was a major issue, and the Chargers coaches were up for contracts. You know, Gus Bradley, we thought, would resign. We thought Wiz would resign. We thought George Stewart was out the door. We thought with the showing of the special teams, he's out of here. But they elected to bring him back, and now you're looking at terrible special teams play. We already talked about the missed kick, muff punt, the return for a touchdown by Hill. Terrible. And then I go back... And I'm thinking, like, where did George Stewart even come from? Because I knew he was a wide receiver coach. Did you know he hadn't coached special teams since 1999 before coming with the Chargers? He's been a wide receiver coach yeah. for, like, 20 years. Yep. That's a long time to be out of it. But anyway, so then they bring back George Stewart, and here we are, special teams problems again. And part of that special teams problem was getting a returner. Travis Benjamin was a problem, and they needed to get a returner in the offseason. We both said, and we, we've talked about it for years, we do not want free agent wide receivers, especially ones that return kicks. But while we're mocking drafts, let's get a returner in here. They didn't do that. They elect to go with an undrafted free agent who returned kicks and punts in J.J. Jones. And you see, he fumbles it. He muffs that punt. Chiefs go in three plays later, punch it in for a touchdown. Another problem this offseason, we talked about getting another pass rusher. Fast forward to 2018, Joey Bosa's hurt. They need another pass rusher. They've got Chris Landrum, Isaac Rochelle. 
None of them got any pressure on Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. They basically blanketed Ingram, who got some pressure, but Mahomes had all day. So again, don't get a pass rusher in the offseason, and then you've got a problem when Bosa's out. We talked about addressing tackle. Joe Barksdale was injured, and the Chargers were so high on him, we were like, well, he was injured all of 2017. That's fine. He's fresh. He's ready for 2018. He goes down with an injury within the first two quarters of a, the first game of the season. So you'd think if a guy's often injured and was injured last season, you'd want a backup plan. Well, their backup plan was Sam Tevy, who was god-awful in the preseason. He was pretty good at the end of 2017, but when you go into this game, he was back to his preseason form. He was not good. Now, in the run game, I will give it to him. He has some very key blocks, especially one that he buried a dude and let Gordon, he sprung Gordon for 14, 15 yards? 18. It, yeah, it was 18, his first yeah, play. Yeah. It was his first play that in the was, game. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. But he had such issues in pass blocking, especially early on. You hope he can turn it around, but again, you don't address tackle, a backup tackle, and here you are. Now, I get, you know, it's the first game. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. But if you're looking at what happened last season and some of the shortcomings with the 2017 Chargers, a lot of that's coming back up. And I get Sam Tevy can turn around. Maybe Rochelle and, and Landrum can show up like they did in the preseason. Maybe J.J. Jones bounces back and he takes one in the house and doesn't fumble again. This could all turn around pretty easily, but... It seems like the same stuff that happened last year that we were complaining about in the offseason has come back to haunt them in game one of the 2018 season. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure how fair it is to blame some of the spe- the special teams gaffes on George Stewart because some of those are just mental and physical errors by the by the players, but that they're just not executing. And you can tell a player what to do over and over and over and over again. But on Sunday on the field, it's their job to get it done. And he doesn't have a whole lot of control over J.J. muffing a punt or Mager taking a bad angle on a punt return or... Or Sturgis missing a kick. Or Sturgis missing a kick, which, you know, I've I've seen people blasting Sturgis for missing that kick and saying they need to go out and sign Dan Bailey. You know, that's a 48-yard kick with a little over a minute left to go in the game. They're down 10, kicking into the wind. I mean... I get it. The kicking sucked for years, but he it's not like he yanked it. It was a pretty decent kick, and it looked like he was going to make it until the last second, and it just hooked a little bit. I don't really think that's why they lost the game. I don't think that was that huge of a deal. I don't know that you can necessarily blame that on George Stewart, but I thought on the punt return, there were guys that were coming out of their lanes. It seemed like they were collapsing on Hill and taking really aggressive angles to him, and they basically cleared out the whole left side of the field and gave him a place to reverse the ball to. Um, and once once he miss, made one guy miss, he was gone. So that the the bad angles and the leaving their lanes, I think you can blame that on Stewart. But in terms of J.J. muffing a punt, not sure you can lay that at his feet. Not really sure you can blame him for Sturgis missing a kick. You know, um, there, the only reason I, I give it to Stewart is because it happened on every single phase of his unit. Yeah, that, on the return I mean, kick, I, on yeah, on his on the return by JJ, and then on field goal, like every single. Yeah, phase. I mean, look, I, now, I'm obviously he can't kick a ball. He's not out there kicking balls. He's not out there catching it. It's not physically his fault, but he's got to clean it up for sure. Yeah, it's his job to clean it up, and hopefully he will. And you know, I I'm not surprised they kept him. He he was. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was Lynn's first special teams coach when Lynn was with the 49ers. So, 
they have a long relationship and it seems like Lynn is repaying the favor of, of what George Stewart did to keep him on the team. So I was not surprised they kept him. Uh, but he definitely has some things to clean up. He's got some guys that are not carrying out their assignments very well. Uh, I think the JJ thing, you throw a guy out there who probably doesn't belong in an NFL football game, no matter how many kicks he looked good returning um, during the preseason, and you're going to have you know a deer in headlights moment and a key moment. I think that's just part of growing up as an NFL football player. So some of that stuff can be cleaned up with, with extra work. Some of it, the players just have to execute better. But you do make yeah. you do make some good points though about things that we complained about, things that we were concerned about entering the offseason not being addressed, not being cleaned up. Uh, you know, whether it's personnel or scheme or we talked about not getting plays in on time, all that kind of stuff. These are all things that are issues that have plagued them since the beginning of last year and they are still popping up and they need to be fixed. Yeah. So why don't why don't you give me one of yours? All right. Well you my first one uh, was the mental errors, which we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my second one was I thought they had, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, I thought they had the wrong offensive game plan early in the game. Uh, I was really expecting the Chargers to come out with four and five wide receiver sets, kind of lead the tight ends on the sideline early in the game, spread out the Chiefs, throw the ball in the middle of the field, really dare Orlando Scandrick to, to cover their wide receivers in space across the field, uh, try to hit some of those 10, 15, 20-yard intermediate passes with with Tyrell and Mike Williams and really use their size to their advantage because that secondary is not good at all. And they had a lot of problems handling those 10, 15, 20-yard deep ins behind the linebackers. They just couldn't get back fast enough, and the safeties weren't coming up fast enough in the preseason. So I really thought they'd throw the ball around a lot early in the game. And it looked like, based on the first play, it looked like they agreed. They came out, they hit a quick slant with two tight ends on the field, threw it to Keenan in the middle of the field against Skandrick, easy eight yards, like, all right, they're rolling, they've got it. And they fell into a pattern they fell into for most of the first two quarters, and that was hit a big pass, run the ball on the next play. It was like, all right, we got to be balanced. we got to have one pass play for every run play. Let's run the ball. And what did they do? Second and two, they run the ball, and they get a yard. And what do they do next? Let's run the ball again. And they run the ball again, and next thing you know, after an eight-yard gain on first down, they're freaking punting. Not acceptable. (laughs) You know, they had a lot of 12, 22, and 21 personnel on the field early in the game, and they were running out of those sets. Very predictable, trying to go with the power run game against the strength of the Kansas City defense which is the front seven. They just played right into Kansas City's hands. They did nothing to expose the Kansas City corners until they were too far behind in the game for it to make a difference. And it seems like they're confusing balanced play calls in terms of like, okay, we want to run the ball 30 times and we want to run and we want to pass the ball 30 times with balanced production. Okay. Let's throw the ball for 250 or 300, but let's get ourselves 150 on the ground later in the game as we're wearing these guys out and spreading them out. I really thought they'd run out of more three, four, five wide receiver sets. They weren't doing that early in the game. They got into that a little bit later once they were behind and they started mixing things up, but their first couple of possessions were super predictable. Big pass, run. Big pass, run. 
There was no flow. There was no imagine, imagination, no creativity. It was just, okay, we completed a pass. Now let's run it. So I thought they really dropped the ball on the offensive game plan. They had an opportunity to really get several guys on the offense going early in the game against that secondary, and they dropped the ball, and they really waited until they were way behind to start throwing the ball around, and that's when they started moving the ball. All right, so I'll give you my second storyline, and it's it's an easy one and a positive one. The rookies had a pretty good showing. Derwin James had a beautiful pass breakup in the end zone, which was just gorgeous at the beginning of the second quarter. Followed up with a sack on the third down to end that Chiefs drive. Had that pass, that quote-unquote pass deflection on that bomb by Mahomes before the half. And then added a pressure on a third down, had Mahomes to throw it away. Kaiser White, fifth-round pick, pretty active, led the team in tackles. Justin Jones even flashed at times on Sunday, the face mask in the red zone notwithstanding. But Nichenna Nwosu is a whole nother story. He played two total snaps, all while being the most impressive player in the preseason among the rookies. And then we've got Kyle Emanuel. And then you've got Kyle Emanuel being a problem on the field once again. Look, I get Nwosu has his shortcomings in coverage, but with how the two were playing this offseason, the snap count has got to tilt in the other direction. I know Kyle Emanuel didn't play a ton of snaps, but the fact that you had Nwosu playing two snaps throughout that whole game when you needed some extra pass rushers and you've got Kyle Emanuel out there, that, that's a major issue, and that's got to change quick. Yeah, I, I like that point. It was one that I wanted to bring up too. I thought, you know, one of the things that I basically waited all preseason for was to get a really good look at why the Chargers drafted Kaiser White. I knew why they drafted him. You just didn't really see a lot of it in the preseason, but you saw it on Sunday. Instincts, speed, attacking the line of scrimmage, making big hits. He had a couple of run stops, I believe, in the second quarter of that game where he read plays perfectly, crashed down on the line of scrimmage, and just decked a running back. Um, One of them was on a trick play the Chiefs ran on third down where basically everybody was frozen, and they ran kind of a wildcat look with Spencer Ware, and he took the ball up the middle, and Kaiser not only met him in the hole and brought him down, but he tackled through him and tried to kill the man Somehow, he wound up getting a first down. I thought it was a bad spot, but it was a huge hit, and it was a perfect example of exactly why they drafted him because he knew exactly where the play was going. He didn't waste any steps. He got right down in the hole, and he made a big hit, and he made the play. And I think he had two. I think he led the team with six tackles, and at least two of them were run stops. So he had a great game. Derwin with chasing down Mahomes with, for the sack from behind. Couple, you mentioned a couple pass breakups. He looked good. The Chiefs did a pretty good job of putting him in some difficult spots of having to make tough decisions with combo routes down the field. Um, so not all not all the struggles with the deep passes were on him when he was uh, when he was playing deep safety, but he looked good. Uh, Justin Jones pushed the pocket a couple times, contributed to a couple run stops. Those guys looked good, but with Nwosu, you know, I think it just it just sounds like they're. They're kind of stuck in the, well, he hasn't played defensive end, so we can't throw him out there. Based on Lynn's comments from from a presser today, he said, well, he hasn't really played base defensive end, so we couldn't really throw him out there in a situation where he didn't know what he was doing. But to me, in a game where you have no pass rush at all, the least you could do is get him out there on third and long and let him go after the quarterback. If you're that worried about him holding up in the run game, in a game where the Chiefs aren't running the ball to begin with, 
at least get him in there on second and third and long and let him pin his ears back and go after the quarterback because that's what he's here for. Uh, you know, it looks like he might be a good edge setter at some point, but he's here to go after the quarterback. So just let him do it. He doesn't have to hold up against the run. Find situations. Be a coach. Be creative. Find situations to get him on the field and give him a chance to do what you think he does best, which right now is going after the quarterback. So that was a major coaching fail. He needs to be on the field more. I'm sure that's something that will correct himself, correct itself as they move forward. We'll probably see a lot more of him in nickel and dime packages and obvious passing situations. Um, but got to get Emmanuel off the field and got to find more snaps from Nuosu. Two snaps for him is inexcusable. It's it's almost criminal. It is. It just he played better than any of the rookies. I mean, Justin Jones got a pass and didn't even play a snap in preseason. He gets he gets some snaps on Sunday. You've got Kaiser White and Derwin James who did pretty good, but Chenna Nuosu was the best rookie among those guys, and yet somehow couldn't gain any favor and just decided, hey, well, we're not that comfortable with him, even though Kaiser White was a safety last year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the argument doesn't make sense. I know he was the spur, you know, at West Virginia, but still, it's it doesn't make any sense. They've got to get him more snaps. So let's go ahead and wrap this up with our last storyline because we're doing three storylines today. What is your last one? My last one is the lack of a defensive game plan, and we talked about it earlier, and it it starts with the way they quote unquote defended Tyreek Hill, but it's really kind of uh, wide reaching. So first thing is they had no answer for Bosa not being on the field. You know, there was a whole lot of Isaac Rochelle who did basically nothing as a pass rusher. Uh, He contributed some run stops and looked pretty good at, at times against the run, but there was no pressure at all. In fact, do you know who led the chargers in pressures yesterday? Take a guess. Brandon Meebane. Desmond King. Do you know how many he had? <laughs> Three. Two. Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're struggling to get to the quarterback, and there is no adjustments. We didn't really even see that much of Landrum. Didn't see any of Nuosu. They didn't really blitz all that well or all that effectively, despite the fact that they've got White and King and James, all of whom are outstanding blitzers and very effective blitzing uh, from the slot and various positions on the edge, just couldn't figure that out. We already talked about not using Nuosu. We talked about letting um, Tyree Kill basically run three, run free through zone coverage. Uh, they, they were giving him 10 yards cushions, and not only giving him 10-yard cushions, but they were dropping 10 yards further back as he was approaching them. They were just determined not to let him run by them. Uh, and then, you know, letting him run these deep slants and crossers over the middle of the field behind the linebackers, there was just no effort to cover him at all. And then, of course, the big one, Kyle Emanuel covering wide receivers and tight ends in the slot, and there was really no sign of any in-game adjustments. They went in with what they wanted to do. They were getting torched, and Gus Bradley never made any changes. They just stuck with the same game plan all along. It was like, well, we can't stop them. Let's just get through it and figure it out later. And there were no adjustments. So the lack of a defensive game plan was really frustrating for a, for a coach who I thought got better as the season went last year and earned his extension. Uh, he took three or four giant steps back in preparing for this game because they had basically no plan in place. It was like they were – it was almost like they were relying on Patrick Mahomes to – shit the bed and throw and turn the ball over and be a mess because he was a rookie and they put no time into game planning how to stopping Tyreek Hill. It was very frustrating. 
Yeah, my third one is uh, is almost the exact same thing, but brighter scale and just the Chargers coaches being outcoached in game one. I mean, across the board, you talked about all the Gus Bradley problems, but when you look at um, the the Chiefs' first-year offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy putting on a show with all this eye candy and RPO and all these creative play calls, and then you watch Ken Wisenhunt pass for eight yards, run for one yard, run for no gain, punt the ball, return it for 90 yards. You're seeing Ken Wisenhunt with the same old game plan. It was stale, and you're seeing Biennemi putting on a show on the other sideline, completely out-coaching Ken Wisenhunt going offensive coordinator against offensive coordinator, and, of course, Gus Bradley having no answer for any of that. We talked about special teams and all the problems that that had, but, I mean, Coach Lynn was outmatched too. We talked about You talked about the field goal. I think chasing points in the second quarter is not wise. When they went for the two-point conversion mm-hmm. at that point, that's too early for me. But just from a whole scale, this team was over outmatched, overwhelmed, outcoached, and they basically had all offseason to prepare for week one. They're always talking about, we're preparing for week one, we're ready for the Chiefs, we're preparing for week one. And again, the same thing happened for the past two years, and Tyreek Hill smoked you again and i get you know cream hunt had something to do with it last year but still tyreek hill is the problem and they had no answer and you talked about that but some of the snap distribution with nuosu and emmanuel and how long are they going to keep austin eckler tied down yeah i mean anytime eckler touches the ball it seems like it is a positive play and he is about to break one at any moment but they cannot get a consensus on how many snaps he's going to get. He's not going to get much. He's the third down back. They have got to get closer to splitting carries between Gordon and Eckler. Eckler is too good. They have got to get them both on the field a lot more, and you got to feed Eckler more. The Austin Eckler snap distribution is starting to piss me off, and it's only game <laughs> one. So they have got to get closer to having a split between Gordon and Eckler. Yeah, you know, I don't know that you'll ever get a 50% split, but I think between the two of them, they played 89 snaps on Sunday and Eckler only played 22. I think what you need to see if you're figuring that between them, they're going to play 90 snaps. I think what you really need to see is Gordon in the 50 to 60 range and Eckler in the 30 to 40 range. So something more of like a 60, 40 split, maybe 65, 35. I don't know. You're ever going to see 50, 50 just because Gordon's the first round pick. He's the bell cow. And, you know, admittedly, as much as we all love watching Austin Eckler touch the ball, Gordon had a very productive day as a receiver, and he was running the ball really well, but they fell so far behind that there was just no point in running the ball anymore. But he was averaging four or five yards a carry for most of the first half, uh, and he was very he had two drops, but he was very productive in the passing game too. So he still needs to be on the field. It's, you know, it's a little bit of an overstatement to say that it needs to be 50-50 or that – you know, Eckler Eckler should be taking all of the snaps or the majority of the snaps, but I I definitely agree that you're you're talking about if you're if you're in the sixty five thirty five range or maybe a little bit more towards sixty forty, you're in a good place there because you're giving yourself the best chance to get your best playmakers the ball more often. But if Eckler's on the sideline, you you can't get him the ball, so he's got to be on the field. Right, and I I will not say that Gordon needs to be phased out of the offense. I wasn't talking about you. Yeah. I was yeah. There's a lot of that on Twitter and things like that right now. Oh yeah, um, but get it even, closer. Fifty forty yeah. is fine. You mean sixty forty? 
Well, if not, if it's ninety snaps, if oh, it, yeah, if, yeah. if Gordon gotcha. gets fifty, not Eckler gets forty. That's fine. Eckler do a lot better with a lot more snaps. Yeah, I promise. I agree, <laughs> and I mean, you know, you mentioned it. I, you know, anytime Tyree Kill touched the ball on Sunday, you felt like he was one missed tackle away from taking it to the house. You kind of feel the same way with Eckler. Like you feel like if he slips one or two tackles, he you're going to have a thirty plus yard gain in a heartbeat. I mean, he ran some killer routes on Sunday. That. I don't know if you watched it, if you really broke it down, his touchdown catch in the second quarter on Sunday. But Beautiful. The route that he ran, he sold an angle route, then he sold a vertical, then he broke it off and ran a, ran a corner route. I mean, he spun Anthony Hitchens around in a circle. I mean, that guy had no idea where he was, and Eckler was gone. And he high-pointed the ball and played it like a wide receiver, despite the fact that he's 5'9". I mean, that kid, that kid is all heart. He's a great athlete. And he's growing as a playmaker, so they need to get him the ball. And you know, honestly, I, d- I doubt they'll do it, but I'd like to see him return some punts and kicks. I'd rather that than JJ Jones. I trust him a hell of a lot more than JJ Jones. Yeah, and he's probably in the doghouse now. Now that Travis Benjamin took the last kick or two to end the game, so uh, we'll see if he's returning any kicks and if he's not inactive. Because if you you probably want to activate Jeremy Davis if JJ Jones is not returning any kicks because he is not. Worth the wide receiver spot. Davis looked like he was going to be extremely valuable in punt coverage and kick coverage and as a potential blocker of punts. He was really good in the preseason on special teams. So I was surprised, given his strengths as a possession receiver in the middle of the field and how that lined up against the Chiefs defense and the way he played in the preseason on special teams, I was surprised he wasn't active on Sunday. Uh, Just It seemed like they were, I don't know if they thought they were pulling a fast one and tricking the Chiefs by having J.J. out there returning kicks, but it just seemed like a huge leap from barely making the roster to, okay, he's our kick returner. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. If that, if that was the case, that they're going out and trying to surprise them, well, boy, they showed them. Yep. Oh, boy. They, they sure surprised them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that wraps it up. That's our three storylines. We appreciate you guys listening. I am at Garrett Sisty on Twitter. Jamie? at lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the The Shutdown Fultron. Keep telling you we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.